listening for the first time, our podcast is an offshoot from our main platform, YouTube. Our channel is called Coffee and Bible Time, where our goal is to help people delight in God's Word. We also have a website and storefront with Bible studies, prayer journals, courses, and more. Before we get started, a word from our sponsor. I'm Mentor Mama, and today we are going to be talking about stability in a time of chaos. You know, our culture's rapid pace of change leaves many of us just feeling bewildered and defensive. Our guest today, Aaron Damiani, author of the book, Earth Filled with Heaven, Finding Life in Liturgy, Sacraments, and Other Ancient Practices of the Church, will explore how the practices of the ancient church, such as liturgy, creeds, and the public reading of scripture, can help modern Christians rest in the stability and truth of Jesus Christ, who is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He will discuss with us how the peace of these practices gave way to courage and missional living in the early church, which faced the same level of upheaval that we have today. Aaron Damiani serves as the lead pastor of Emmanuel Anglican Church in Chicago and is the author of The Good of Giving Up, Discovering the Freedom of Lent, And as I mentioned earlier, he is also the author of Earth Filled with Heaven. Aaron writes and speaks regularly about spiritual formation, leadership, and recovering the gifts of the ancient church for today's challenges. Aaron and his wife, Laura, live with their four kids in Chicago's Irving Park neighborhood. Please welcome Aaron. Thank you so much for having me. It's an honor to be on the show. Oh, Erin, I'm so delighted that you're here today. I'm so excited about what you have to teach us about the ancient sacraments and how that can apply to us today. So you grew up in more of an evangelical church environment. So how was it that you sort of made this conversion from an evangelical background to more of this liturgical style? Well, for me, it began with just a season of burnout and what felt to me like failure at the time. I was a student at Moody Bible Institute and had an awesome first year, actually. My my first year of studying how to actually study the Bible really was electrifying for my devotional life. So learning how to do you know observation, interpret, interpretation, application, um, and and really look at the ways that uh, the scriptures can can come alive as we the more we study it. That was like pouring kerosene on a fire, just spiritually mm-hmm. speaking. And so, combined with community that I had there at Moody, I was growing a lot and and flourishing. Things began to shift when I um, took on some leadership my sophomore year, and I began to advance in my studies. And the more I studied, actually, the I found that the more doubts I had, I had to work through some doubts about, do I really believe this? And I actually, one of the things that happened to me devotionally was that as I began to, to study the scriptures, I began to analyze them 
more than I was being analyzed by the scriptures. And mm-hmm. so the more I, the more I studied, the, the less I believed I found. And I felt guilty about that and ashamed that I had these doubts about my faith. I didn't know what to do with them. I didn't share them with a, very many people. And I was also um, uh, just dealing with some grief. I had a close friend whose father took his own life. And so, you know, just the reality of of suicide, when that, when that hits your world, it's like an intruder. And there's just, there was a lot of grief that that was happening at the time. And just relationally speaking, I was beginning to, to burn out. Um, And then finally, you know, about a year or so into my leadership role, I was beginning to get some, some uncomfortable feedback, some criticism about like what I was doing, the job I was doing. And at the time, I just did not have the tools to process that. What do you, how do you metabolize negative feedback as a spiritual leader so that you can become a better shepherd and a better servant of the people God's called you to? Mm -hmm. So for me, it was this combination of you know, I couldn't feel my way to God anymore, just with the emotional burnout and the grieving. I couldn't think my way to God anymore. Like the more quiet times I did, almost like the worse it got. Mm. And then I couldn't serve my way to God anymore as I was beginning to come to the end of my energy with, with leadership and experiencing pain there. Yet I longed for God. I wanted, I wanted to experience his presence. I wanted to hear him speak through his word. And I was just shouldering a lot of that individually. That was just, I was carrying on um, this, this press to know God, but it was, it was all kind of on me in some ways. Right around that time, my friend uh, invited me to a, an evangelical Presbyterian church. And this church was uh, just a simple local church in the city of Chicago that featured the sacraments right alongside the preaching of God's word. So they had a high view of scripture as I, as I do to this day, but they also had a um, high, higher view of the sacraments than I had previously encountered and they use liturgy. And, you know, I grew up thinking that liturgy was, was the empty repetition, the vain repetition, which it can be. What I experienced in this local church was this beautiful way that it was like the easy yoke of Jesus it was like the words of Jesus and the words of scripture, but made in such a way that you could pray it with the saints. You could pray it with others. And even if you didn't know what you believed, you could receive the teaching of the scriptures. You could receive also the creeds of the ancient church and pray those creeds with the people of God, even when you were struggling with your doubts and didn't know what you believed. And what I found was that as I, as I received these things, rather than works righteousness, they were much more like an easy yoke. And that really helped me it come through that spiritual wall that I was hitting and find that the deeper life of Jesus was still there. And he's always, you know, he, he was always with me and he always would be. And liturgy and sacraments helped me to taste and see that in a fresh way. That is so amazing. You know, you really are speaking to so many people out there who have experienced burnout. Like you said, you can't feel your way to God. You know, that can be really frustrating. Faith is not Mm -hmm. a feeling, right? Um, Yes. And so I love how you're going to kind of share and go more deeply into that. 
Why do you think there is this fear or suspicion in the evangelical world over sacramental practices? You know, I think one concern that evangelicals have and that I that I had was that if you um, if you used if you were to engage in the sacraments, you could make an idol out of them and that they could be something that you were worshiping instead of Jesus Christ. And, you know, that's that's something that we, we all have to guard against, that we don't replace Jesus with something that is religious, that maybe looks like Jesus, but actually isn't isn't him. And we, we really want to follow the second commandment. We will not set up idols to to worship. And so I think that's one concern. And I think another concern that people have is just the physical nature of liturgical worship, that it involves your body. We're really strong in the evangelical world on what you know, our thoughts and our feelings, reaching the heart and reaching the head, both of which matter to God. And, um, but involving our bodies is, an, is another matter. And this is, this is one way that we can actually just honor the incarnation of Jesus Christ, that he, came, he became flesh. You know, he took on a human body and in fact went to the cross and was resurrected in a human body. And today, praise God, he sits at God's right hand and intercedes for us in a human body. And when we're resurrected with him, when we rise on that final day, boy, we will stand before him in, in, a, in a body that has been resurrected. So, you know, the Lord involves the human body in salvation. And what liturgy and sacraments do is it sort of honors the bodies that God has given us as a gift and just honors the fact that, you know, matter matters. You could say that matter matters. We don't worship creation, but we do honor creation as, as our Lord did. And along the way, um, we are going to just recognize that sacraments are like um, those glasses that people put on, you know, people who are colorblind and they have those color correction glasses that are given to them by a family member. And if you see, there's these videos online of them, of people who have been colorblind their whole life, putting on those corrective glasses for the first time. And after a few seconds, I mean, they just break down weeping because it's so beautiful. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and so what I found is that rather than an idol, what sacraments do and, and what liturgy does is that they're like those corrective glasses that helps us see Jesus Christ better, helps us see that he is closer to us than the baptismal water. He's closer to us than even the bread and the juice of the wine. And that, um, and that actually um, his grace is, is present for us, even when we are facing great doubts and going through that burnout season and, and our thoughts and our feelings are not where we want them to be. And for me, actually, what that did is that helped reintegrate my thinking and my feeling and help me grieve and it also helped me have greater joy and worship um, along the way. So for me, those those two doubts are really uh, legitimate and significant. And I think that scripture shows us that um, that uh, we, we need not fear biblical liturgy and biblical celebration of uh, the Lord's Supper and, and baptism. Learn what theology is and how to study God within the Bible in course number seven of our In-Depth Bible Study Academy. 
In this academically built course, you will learn the tools to study God's character and nature within a Bible passage and how to grow closer to God relationally through Bible study. This course, titled Theology, Knowing God Through In-Depth Bible Study, is packed with teaching lessons, homework, quizzes, and a resource list for personal study. Head to our website, coffeeandbibletime.com, to learn more about the Academy and course number seven today. Use promo code CBT Podcast, that's CBT Podcast, to get 50% off this course right now at coffeeandbibletime.com. That's so encouraging to hear. Could you just tell us, there may be people listening that aren't even sure what the sacraments or different mm-hmm. liturgies are. Can you maybe just go give a brief rundown on what, sure. what they actually are in case people don't know? Absolutely. So liturgy is actually, it's anything that we do with our bodies that shapes our souls. It's the work of the people. That's the ancient definition of it, the work of the people, and it works on the people. So anything from even, you know, on a, in a secular sense, swiping swiping up on our phones to, for the next video, is that's a liturgical movement, and it, and it shapes our days and it shapes our attention. But so does holding hands with your brothers and sisters in your small group and praying the Lord's Prayer together, singing the Lord's Prayer together. That's going to shape your soul as well. So liturgy is what uh, churches try to do that are liturgical is to use scripture to shape your soul. And so liturgy is anytime we're singing scripture, even in, in a favorite song, anytime we're citing it together, any way that we are participating in the, um, the sort of scripture filled worship of Jesus Christ, that is liturgical. And so the, and the reason that you repeat it is not to, not for vain repetition, but actually it's training, just like we would train with piano lessons. Uh, mm. We would, we would train, um, you know, I used to train my, my, my jump shot in basketball. I would spend hours trying to get it down because I wanted to be ready for the game. And what liturgy does is it's like, it's these exercises to help us fight the world, the flesh and the devil and to, um, to to be faithful representatives of Jesus Christ when um, when the, when we're on the spot. Sacraments are anything that's it's a it's a visible sign of an invisible grace. That's how uh, uh, Augustine, it was an early church pastor, defined sacraments. It's anything that it's it's the Lord's Supper, you know, sometimes called uh, communion or or the Eucharist and baptism, and. Uh, what these what these are they're like signposts that point to a greater reality that we can't see so the lord in his grace shows us that he's still with us but he uses the ordinary things of life that um that that communicate uh, love to human beings you know um water for 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 washing and food for nourishment these are everyday realities but the lord meets us in them and they they point beyond the water, point beyond the the, the bread, the, the the juice, the wine, to the grace of God in Christ. Mm. You know, what's interesting is I kind of had the have had the reverse 
of what mm. you did in that I was sort of born and raised in the Lutheran church and then now sort of attend more of a, it's called the missionary church, but it's, we don't do the liturgy, but the liturgy that I did learn as a youth is ingrained in me. Mm. It's absolutely ingrained in me. And this is really encouraging me to kind of maybe go back and um, look at that again. Well, which ancient church practices do you think are most neglected in the evangelical church today? You know, there's one in particular that is a surprise. And I, I say this with a lot of love in my heart um, towards my, my, my evangelical Protestant brothers and sisters, but it's the public reading of scripture. I think if there is one glaring omission, it, it would be the public reading of scripture we can read that this was happening in the early church, even in Paul's letter to Timothy. Don't neglect the public reading of Scripture. The earliest liturgies that we can find in history all have readings from the Scriptures. And even the Reformers themselves, when they were when they were going about the Reformations, one of their sticking points, one of the things that they were really willing to fight for was the Scriptures being translated and read in the language of the people. They all fought for that, and none of them left out the public reading of Scripture. Even even um, people like Zwingli, you would say, would be the most, you know, the least liturgical of the Reformers, kept the public reading of Scripture. And I find that today in the evangelical church, unfortunately, the preaching about the Scriptures has edged the reading of the Scriptures. And I again, I don't say that to be, um, you know, putting people down, critiquing, mm -hmm. only to say that it's it's equally important to for us to let god do the preaching and for uh, for the preaching to come around what what uh what the lord has already said so for instance um one of the things that the church has always done is included a reading from the old testament as well as the new testament as well as a section from the gospels matthew mark luke and john and then give people a chance to pray the psalms together and um, so what this does is this gets scripture in the in the bloodstream of the congregation. And that's why it has always been so valued. And but with people's declining attention spans, um, sometimes we <laughs> we cut the reading of scripture and um, we, you know, we've got to save time for announcements. And then we want to hear the interesting things that the preacher is going to say. And I love preaching. I do preaching every week. And, and I can, I'm so committed to expositional preaching and believe in it. And so, and yet I've, I've got to, I've got to make sure that my preaching is not edging out the way that the Lord speaks, which is, um, which is also through the, just, just the plain and public reading of the Bible. Yes. That's so very important. Well, an interesting thing that you looked at in the book, um, and you can help us understand, but in what ways does a sacramental life provide relief from our modern culture of consumerism, busyness, and loneliness? Mm -hmm. It's such a temptation too. I mean, we're, we're right now in our in our the American calendar. If you think about like the American religious calendar. We're right in the middle of the feasting season, you could say, with Halloween coming up and, you know, trick-or-treating and then Thanksgiving, which I love. And 
and then Christmas, there, there's there's all kinds of shopping expected and how are we gonna have Christmas if we can't buy stuff? Um, so what the ancient church calendar does is it gives us a different calendar to live by. And so, and then rather than forming us as consumers, which the kind of the default American calendar is gonna form us as consumers, the liturgical calendar is going to invite us to be formed as like spiritual pilgrims. You think about like, if you've ever been to the Holy Land, I've never been to the Holy Land, I hear it's amazing. But you go to the Holy Land and you get this sense that like, even though life is not as comfortable there as, as it is maybe in our own home, our own beds, um, we're, we're, we're on a journey and we're actually seeking to live the story of Jesus in a more three-dimensional, tangible way Amen. to walk where Jesus walked yes. and to see, you know, go to the Sea of Galilee and to, to, um, to go to, uh, to, to the old city of Jerusalem. And where was he teaching? Where was he confronting the Pharisees? All of that. Where did he go after his resurrection? Because we want, the reason we're doing that is because we want something greater than our comfort. We want to be more deeply bonded with our Lord and know the joy of living his death and resurrection, walking in his footsteps. And so what the liturgical calendar does is it gives us an opportunity to do that, to live a tangible three-dimensional um, journey with Jesus, but not just Jesus, also his church. And so we're making common sacrifices with other people who are Let's say they're they're fasting in the seasons of Advent or 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 Lent, or and they're feasting um, with greater intention in the seasons of Christmas and 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 Easter, and and not just feasting with our friends, but with hey with the stranger, with neighbors, with people that Jesus cares about who might otherwise be left out. And along the way, what we find is that you know the the busyness that that drives us is so often a desire for success or our kids success comfort um and and those are good things i mean we we want we want to be able to fulfill our obligations and we want our kids to have good experiences and and do well in school and sports and everything else but we want something more for them don't we and we want mm -hmm. something more for ourselves we want their souls to we want them to love jesus christ we want them to give their lives for the gospel. And, um, and so we're going to um, invite our family, our kids, our church, our friends to, um, to leave aside some of the, some of the, uh, some of the shopping, some of the, some of the feasting and some of the individual experiences for that common journey that we're all on, which is a journey to Jesus Christ. And, and that's that's the church calendar and fixed day prayer. Those are some of the ways that um, we find that this is a more restful and a more meaningful journey that we can take every year. Yes. And that's something really we should all kind of process in our own minds. This is a good call just to think about, you know, am I using the religious holidays in a more consumerism way as opposed to really sort of embracing the roots of our, our Christianity and what's more important. And like you said, building our relationship with Christ. Well, Aaron, tell us which ancient practice has brought you personally the most comfort in recent times? One practice that really helped me um, 
some time ago when I was facing, I'm a church planter. And so our, our worship space is always a, a question, you know, in the city, it's hard to find good spaces. And we had found a great space after COVID. And I remember one morning finding out that there was likely some movement to sell the space to a developer, which is mm-hmm. <laughs> happening a lot around here. Mm-hmm. And a lot of sacred spaces getting turned into condos for, for the, you know, for maximum profit. And so I just remember, you know, feeling the anxiety sitting at the breakfast table. And I realized that I had a resource right there available to me, which was something called, you know, the daily office. So morning prayer, which is something that uh, is, it has a set, set prayers and set scripture readings for each day and each part of the church calendar. It helps you pray with Christians around the world and throughout time. And so I decided what I would do is I would do morning prayer, this this practice which was available to me no matter what, high or low, but I would do it on site. I I wanted to go on site to the place that we were worshiping and just do my morning prayer there to experience God's presence right in the place of my anxiety, right in the place of my, of my fear. And I remember praying the Psalm for the day as I was walking around this worship space and the Psalm of the day uh, was a prayer for God to, for his, for God's name to be exalted in all the earth. And as I was praying this prayer, walking around the building looking out into Lake Michigan and looking up into the sky, I realized that that God's purposes were greater than my need to have stability in our worship space, as good as that is, as good as stability is. I wanted something greater than a successful or or pain-free ministry life, and that was God's name exalted, God's son exalted, God's purposes carried forward. And whatever way my own church situation could fit into that, what morning prayer was teaching me was to want that more (laughs) than simply for my circumstances to change. And so uh, I, I just find that when I'm all over the place emotionally or, or life is chaotic, that this fixed hour prayer along with the fixed scriptures and the Psalms and the, uh, the, the readings and, and the old prayers, what that does is that just, it's like, a, it's like, it's like that thing that keeps time when you're, when you're playing the piano or playing an instrument. Oh yeah. Um, the metronome. Uh, the, the metronome. That's the word I'm trying to find. <laughs> it's like a metronome for my, for my soul. Mm. And it keeps me in tune with the heartbeat of God and the heartbeat of his church around the world. And so that's brought me great comfort, especially when things go awry. You know, I think some people might be thinking right now, where do I go to find out what those morning prayers are? Mm-hmm. Do you have a yes. suggestion? I do. In fact, um, there is a, um, you know, what I use is the, the Book of Common Prayer, and I use the 2019 version, which has, it has morning noonday, evening, and then Compline, which is like basically bedtime prayers, all listed in the beginning there. And there is also shorter versions of that for families. And so you can get a book of common prayer. If you want to go, there's a website that like 
basically refreshes throughout the day with the scriptures and the readings. And um, I'll, I'll get you the link. I think it's like BCP 2019, uh, something like that. Okay. I'll, 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 I'll give you the link. But if you're interested, my my um, my son is a programmer, and he put together a list of um, all of the scripture readings for um, Advent and Epiphany. So starting in November, December, and January, there's a list of like the scriptures and Psalms for the morning, the scriptures and Psalms for the evening. And I can, my wife is is going to be using that. I'll send that along to you as well if you if you want to take a look. Oh, that would be awesome. We will include that in the show notes. That's so amazing. I remember uh, my dad gave me the Book of Common Prayer, and mm. it's always been really, really special to me. That is is a great book to have. Well, how do you think churches can who who aren't doing this today can begin to implement the sacraments in in a fresh way? Mm. You know, if you're if you're coming to worship and you're not in charge of the worship services or the sermons, one of the ways that you can approach your faith in a more liturgical sacramental way is just to appreciate and see the sacramental and liturgical elements that are already there. So most churches are going to practice the Lord's Supper at least once a year, maybe a few times a year. Here's one way for, for that to be more meaningful. Just to ask your church, hey, when's the next time we're going to practice um, you know, the Lord's Supper, communion. And when you know it's coming up, you could fast for a meal the week before, or maybe maybe fast for a whole day, and simply make it your intention to be more um, spiritually ready for that moment, thanking Jesus Christ for becoming the bread from heaven for you. You could even read some of the um, accounts of the people of Israel walking through the the uh, wilderness and also when they were uh, liberated from Egypt seeing how they passed through the waters and were delivered seeing how there was manna from heaven and begin to say lord you know i want this to be the way that i receive from you in church i want to um i want to be fed by you i want to be in a right place with you next time we we take communion and when I see a next baptism, I want to celebrate all of the people who are being delivered from, from, from bondage to life. And to just to celebrate that you use water to picture what salvation means. Another thing that you can do just on the liturgical side of things is notice which elements of your worship service are repetitive. So if there's anything that you do week in, week out, you, you can just appreciate that this is really good training for you to live the Christian life the rest of your week. And let's say that there is a song that you love um, that is a part of the worship service that you're a part of. Get the lyrics to that song, stick it in your Bible, and then you can sing it as part of your quiet time. Um, or even the Lord's Prayer. You know, um, I love the Lord's Prayer. And one interesting thing is just you look at the Lord's Prayer and you do a Bible study on Jesus in his hardest moments in Gethsemane or on the cross. What's coming out of him naturally and freely? Well, it's, it's a lot of the stuff he taught us to pray in the Lord's Prayer. Father, thy will be done. Um, not my will, your will be done. Or Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. You know, he, he had this in his bones, you know, and we can too. 
And so it could be as simple as taking the Lord's Prayer, pausing at noon, and 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 praying it from your heart that um, whatever happens this day, you want the Father's will to be done just like Jesus did. You want to forgive your enemies. You want to have your life be about for the power, the glory, and the kingdom of God. Um, so this just it's it's really just a few simple ways of um, seeing the patterns and appreciating the patterns. And then really living into the pattern that of, of the gospel that the liturgy makes makes available. Those are such great suggestions. I want to encourage our listeners out there to be intentional and try doing that the next time um, you go to your service. Well, Aaron, you know, one of the things I mentioned sort of in the introduction just was that, you know, so many people today are anxious and stressed out yes. and they are searching for peace. So mm. how does practicing liturgy in the sacraments help people in finding that peace? It is so true that, that our world is filled with anxiety mm -hmm. and that people really don't know who to trust, what to believe there's just so much chaos. It's like that body of water that has been absolutely turned into a hurricane and houses that were once standing strong are now underwater or no, or no longer standing. Mm -hmm. And it's just a sense that our world is changing so quickly. The currents are so strong that um, how are we going to, to stand in this day? And um, what, I, what I have found in my own life is that I actually need a place to take all of the, all of the, all of the anxiety I need. If I'm a house, let's say that spiritually speaking, that my, the soul of my house, or the house of my soul is taking in water, uh, taking in the anxiety of the, of the day, but I need a place to, to unload that. And I need a, I need anchors to, to hold me fast. One of the ways that liturgy uh, makes uh, space for anxious people is just actually, it's super basic silence. It makes space for silence. Mm. And I actually need to be silent before God to wait on him, whether it's alone or whether it's in a worship service or a small group. Silence together in the presence of God. But what happens is that our anxiety comes up. You know, we're so good at pushing it down. That takes mm. tons of energy to push mm -hmm. on our anxiety or any yes. other emotion. Once, you know, it's like telling us something. We don't want to listen because it's too painful. Mm -hmm. Our, our anger is trying to tell us something, but it's so painful and doesn't feel good. doesn't feel Christian, you know? Mm -hmm. And yet I find that in silence and, um, and, especially when combined with the truth of God's word as it's spoken and as it's prayed, that there's a, there's a holy interaction that happens as my sadness, anger, fear, shame, disgust um, comes into the presence of God. And I, I'm actually able to pray prayers like, you know, Father, into your hands, I commit this situation that I'm worried about. Mm. You know, for all the things happening in the world, where it really comes down for me is it's these outcomes that I'm trying to control, trying to control what happens at church, trying to control what happens um, with my coworkers, trying to control what happens with this conflict, trying to control my kids because I want things to turn out a certain way. Mm 
And that makes me anxious. So that's my way of getting through. That's my way of getting through the world's troubles is like controlling my own little little bubble, my own little submarine in the sea. Mm -hmm. And, and so what liturgy does is it gives me a chance to, to say, you know, father, uh, please give me your Holy spirit because I actually need to completely abandon the outcomes of how this turns out. And just like Jesus gave, you know, entrusted his whole life to you as his life was expiring on the cross, I want to go ahead and give to you my kids. I want to give to you my coworkers. I want to give to you um, my neighbors, my church, the leak in my basement, and say, Father, thy will be done, and just help me take the next right step. And so I just find that that's there's just some un, there's just some unloading and some unleashing. And there's just more space, I find, for the truth of God, the peace of God, fill my soul, fill my mind, circulate throughout my system, and, and, and give me some joy. It's not everything. You know, we need, we need another, we need the body of Christ. We need, mm-hmm. uh, journaling helps me too. But there's something very stabilizing and as well as gentle about liturgy where there's some silence in the presence of God. <sighs> Absolutely. You know, the one I've had many restless nights um, and I always turn to just God help grant me your peace that surpasses all understanding. Mm-hmm. And it just that to me is just so yeah, like you say, Jesus wants to yoke that burden with us. And yes, we can do that. It's almost like you feel the stress rolling off of your shoulders and God's peace enveloping you yes well the i'd like to talk about how the sacraments as we get ready to kind of close things up here how do the sacraments help us engage with the beauty of this present Mm. life even Mm. as we wait for jesus to return Mm. the sacraments really are like those corrective lenses um while we wait for Jesus to make the the world right and to make the the world whole, I think what the sacraments do is they show us the power that is um, that is in this world to to show us things beyond this world. So we as as creatures made in God's image have an ability to imagine something that doesn't yet exist. And this is something that is unique to us as, as human beings, and I believe is a big part of, of bearing God's image, is like Adam and Eve being set in the world and be given a, a task, a vision, to make the world better, to, to steward it. Even before the fall, they had a job to do that involved matter. And they could see God's love in the teeming creatures and in the calling that they had and in the trees that were filled with nourishing food for them. And so um, what, what was so sad was that Adam and Eve lost their vision of, they lost their vision of what all of those realities were pointing to, and they made creation an idol. Mm. And so they ate, they ate the food they weren't supposed to eat. And so I think what the sacraments do is it's like it's new food that, get, that restores our vision and reverses the process, as it were, to give us a, a sense for, hey, look, you know, we have the calling as God's kings and queens on this earth 
to steward creation, even parts of creation that others have written off, you know, uh, let's say apartment buildings that are run down or a, an open plot of farming land that others have, have written off or overused or someone who uh, has, uh, has, has a struggle or a suffering or a disability that others have just written off as too hard is we go, God cares about this part of creation. He cares about this person. And actually, because we can see God meeting us in, um, in the Eucharist and in baptism, he's actually commissioning us to, to treat this world as revealing his glory and worthy of not our worship. We're not worshiping creation, but we're treating it with reverence and we're treating it with, with the dignity that the, that the Lord has imbued inside of it. And so I would say that anywhere we've been placed that we have contempt for, um, hopefully what sacramental worship will do through the Holy Spirit and with the, with the biblical teaching is it's going to restore our vision and give us encouragement that this work, though it's hidden, matters to God and it matters to the new creation that God will, um, will remake um, to, uh, at the end of history. Thank you so much, Aaron. You have so many golden nuggets of wisdom in there. I think people are probably trying, they're taking notes, trying to to write all this down. Your book has so much more information that people can just really soak in greater depth to what you've been talking about here. How can people find out more information about the book and yourself as well? Yeah, I mean, you can find me on the socials. Um, I'm on Twitter at my full name, Aaron Damiani. Lots of A's in there. No O's. Lots of A's. Aaron Damiani. And then I'm on Instagram, Damiani6, and as well as on Facebook. And uh, you can go just find Earth Filled with Heaven uh, on, on Amazon uh, or anywhere books are sold. I, I actually really, I had people on my mind and heart as I was writing this book who don't have background in liturgy or sacraments, sure. especially those that would never want to read a book about liturgy or sacraments, but you want to grow closer to Jesus and you want to um, to deepen your roots in this in this age where it's harder to become harder to be a Christian in our world. Um, so you can find me online there and um, would love to interact with any of your listeners that have questions. Oh, thank you so much. You know, in addition to who you said you wrote the book for, like even for those of us maybe who grew up with it, I know I'm feeling encouraged, like wanting mm. to go back and sort of pull my common book of prayer out. And mm. I yes. also have a Lutheran hymnal too, right? That has a lot Whoa. of that liturgy. Yes. And in the beginning, there's so many great things. And so thank you so much for your words of wisdom and just the encouragement to all of us to take part. Before we go, I just want to ask you a couple of our favorite Bible study tool questions. The first yes. one is, what is your go-to Bible? Because I'm sure you have many. Yes. <laughs> what translation is it? So my go-to Bible is right here. It is the, um, it's the pastor's Bible that ESV published. And what I like about this, it's, it's real simple. Um, but what I like about this is that the um, there are call outs specifically for pastoral ministry so it'll talk about visiting people in their homes or it'll talk about 
the um, the primacy of of preaching. It'll talk about the glory of God. It'll it'll address things that that as a pastor remind me uh, to to be fulfilling my my call. That's my go to Bible. Ooh, that's really cool. Okay, do you have any favorite journaling supplies or anything that you like to use to enhance your Bible study experience? Yeah. So for me, what's uh, what I what I love in terms of journaling is this, it's a very basic, um, I, I used to get the markings, uh, uh journal and I, I, I now have the cheaper Amazon version, but it's got a, a pouch in the back for any mementos from my life. Oh. And then, um, it's got lined pages and I just find that I put everything in there. So I do my journaling there, but I also, anything I'm noting from scripture, I, I, I put there. I also used the back of my sermon manuscripts. So I've got the sermon manuscript on one side, but the blank side. Mm -hmm. And I just, so when I'm doing sermon prep, I do a lot of note-taking there as well. Uh... And then the pen, the precise V7 pilot, this is my go-to journaling pen. Okay. All right. We will include links to all of those. Lastly, what is your favorite app or website for Bible study tools? I really am partial to Accordance and learned Accordance as a grad student and really appreciate the way that you can do word searches, Greek and Hebrew, um, cross-reference. It's very, very useful. Excellent. Okay. We will link that as well. Well, Erin, thank you so much for being here today to draw a our attention back to our Christian roots and how the practices you share just can help us tremendously in finding renewed rest and hope. So even when the world seems unstable, we can rest in the stability of Jesus and the sacraments and liturgy can help us do that. So thank you so much for joining us. And for our listeners, pick up a copy of Aaron's book, Earth Filled with Heaven. You can find the link in our show notes. I'd like to thank the team at Life Audio for their partnership with us on the podcast. If you go to lifeaudio.com, you will find dozens of other faith-centered podcasts in their network. They've got shows about prayer, Bible study, parenting, and more. Lastly, head over to the Coffee and Bible Time website for our prayer journals that will help guide and document your prayer life at coffeeandbibletime.com. Thank you for joining us on our podcast today. We love you all. Have a blessed day.